welcome to the Free Cities podcast. My name is Timothy Allen, and this is the official podcast of the Free Cities Foundation. Hello and greetings from my wonderful makeshift studio here in an Airbnb in Poland. This is episode number 18 of the Free Cities podcast and this is also the penultimate show from our series of conversations that I had in Prague. I'm in Warsaw for the next seven days recording the interviews that you will be listening to over the next couple of months on the Free Cities podcast. I'm only three episodes in and I have to say that my mind has been blown already on two different occasions. So I'm really looking forward to sharing these conversations with you. Anyway, back to today and on the show I'm talking with a Swedish couple by the name of Pontus and Ulrika Lindblom. Now, Pontus and Ulrika are a family with an absolutely fascinating story. A journey around the world searching for liberty that has led them to the point of purchasing a property in Prospera on the island of Ruatan in Honduras. Now, I won't give too much away here, but needless to say, they have an exceptionally 21st century story that revolves around, amongst other things, digital nomadism, flag theory and Bitcoin. Now, if living in a free city project is something you've ever thought about yourself, then today's guests should be able to offer you a wealth of first-hand experiences of the trials and tribulations faced by a freedom-loving family looking for the best way to navigate the idiosyncrasies of the times that we are all living in. It was really great to speak with them. I very much appreciate people who are actually walking the walk in this world. And I hope that they can offer some of you the inspiration to get out there and create the change that you want to see in the world. Anyway, thank you for listening to the podcast. And of course, it now just remains for me to say to you, please sit back, relax and enjoy my conversation with Pontus and Ulrika Lindblom. introduce you as far as, as as much as I know which isn't a lot to be honest so I know that you're Pontus and Ulrika and that you're Swedish but we are meeting here in Prague and this is part of a the Free Cities Foundation have come to Prague for a few days and we are interviewing relevant people in Prague and your names came up because I think you've got a fascinating story so why don't uh, you, Pontus, begin? Why don't you introduce yourself? And then, Ulrike, if you say something, just I'd like to know in the beginning how it is that you ended up in Prague, firstly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so my name is Pontus. Uh, I'm from Sweden. So I grew up in a small village in Sweden. And then I have studied natural science. And then... Eventually, I came to Linköping, which is a university town, and I studied uh, like biotech engineering as my master's. And then uh, after that, I did a PhD 
uh, in the medical faculty, and that's where I met Ulrika. She was also a PhD student there. Uh, so we met there in Linköping, and after we both finished our PhDs in 2014, uh, we have been thinking a few years about uh, uh, traveling after our PhDs, uh, living as nomads or backpacking around the world. Um, not with any particular plan, but just to, to see the world, see what opportunities there are. Um, so we had saved some money, some fiat money in our bank accounts uh, to travel on. And my idea was always that we should be very frugal in our travels, uh, not spend a lot of money. So my goal was that we were going to live on uh, $40 or $50 per day. Uh, the goal was $40, but after one and a half years of travel in uh, Southeast Asia and in Central America, I calculated that we had spent uh, just over $50 per day for the two of us for all the travel, uh, all the lodging, uh, all the uh, fun things we did. We did a lot of diving, for instance. So even though we didn't spend a lot of money, we had a lot of fun and we met a lot of interesting people. And one of the, the goals with our travels were also to meet like-minded people, which were libertarians and Bitcoiners. So wherever we went, we tried to meet up with, uh, with locals or other expats there in those locations uh, who were into Bitcoin or libertarianism. So we usually looked at meetup.com or Facebook to see if we could find some group of libertarians or bitcoiners so so before i hear from you Ulrika, it was mainly southeast asia is that right the first nine months were southeast asia and uh, sri lanka and india um, a place close to my heart as well i've spent over oh, i think i've spent almost four years in that part of the world Himalayas and especially in Thailand you know Indonesia everywhere I love that I love that part of the world so you were planning on going back to uh, Sweden after those trips no no <laughs> no it uh, our goal was was not just traveling it was more we wanted to f explore the different lo different locations for where we could start a family and uh, and uh, yeah like find somewhere in the world that we fit in so how did you end up here then? I mean, um, Southeast Asia to here. It's yeah. not a simple <laughs> trip. No, and we have been more in more places. So that was just the first year. And then we went to Central America, um, Mexico, um, Honduras, Nicaragua, um, Guatemala. And <clears throat> before we went back to uh, Southeast Asia. And then we have mostly traveled to Europe. We, we have uh, returned to, to Prague uh, over the years, but, but the original reason we came to Prague was uh, uh, when we were in uh, Singapore. Uh, we met up with libertarians in Singapore, and then we were told about Paralelnipolis here in Prague. Um, and uh, in uh, 2015, the summer of 2015, we met... Uh, the King family, Caroline and Paul, who, who lives here in our community here in Prague. Um, and we told them about, about Paralelnipolis. 
and uh, they wanted to check it, check that out. Yeah, and it's also that was in 2015, and then we went to Anarcapulco in Mexico for the 2016 conference, and uh, met uh, met uh, Pavel Luptak. That is that was the main organizer for Hackers Congress. That is uh, a conference that is. Uh, 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 been going on since I think 2015 here in Czech Republic. So we were aiming for going to Prague to go to attend that conference in 2016. Okay, I've got a question for you then because uh, <clears throat> traditionally I think a lot of people think of Sweden as being a pretty open-minded, easygoing kind of country. How do you end up leaving, wanting to leave Sweden and going look, looking elsewhere then? Uh, <clears throat> Yeah, it's it's a lot of things. Uh, uh, we met in two thousand ten, and we we grew to, we grew up together in the fields of uh, economics and, polit- and politics, uh, and we um, came into the pa- came to the pathway that we we felt like uh, Sweden is going to uh, on the wrong direction. It's not going towards a more fri- free society. It's going to more some more uh, authoritarian society. Uh, and with a lot of problems, so in I think it was in 2012 we decided that we we have to leave Sweden and find somewhere else to live. Can, can you tell me what, what what what? Sorry to butt in. What what is something that you see happening in Sweden that, that is a red flag to you? Because, yeah. like like I say, the outside world. When I look at Sweden, I, I had a Swedish girlfriend for a, a year, mm. and I thought it was a really chilled out place, really cool. Yeah, there's there's quite a lot of open-minded... People seem to be very open-minded and very easygoing and very live and let live there. Yeah, so what are the, the red flags then? The first thing is that a lot of Swedish people are conformists. They, if, as long as you fit inside the society mall, everything is okay. But if you fell, fall out of that uh, mall, then, then you will really feel the, the difference between you and the rest. Uh, and uh, a lot of uh, things happened in the, in Sweden that I reacted to before we met before I met Pontus. But one of them was the fraud law that came in 2016 that were um, highly uh, going to more uh, towards a more surveillance society. What? Can you explain what that law was? That are they are tracking citizens more on the internet. Uh, that they are want, they want to be able to uh, plant back doors and go into and read your mails and so on. That they didn't say that they say they wanted to to find the child pornographists and terrorists by this law. But uh, it's like a slippery slope, and then uh, it will um, be more uh, like a minor felonies that will be attractable to go into those. They, they, they wanted to to let the secret service in in Sweden uh, like lawfully I- listen to everything that happens on the internet. And has that happened? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, yeah. right now in Sweden, you don't need an, a special injunction to tap someone's phone or to to listen to their. They they still need a court order, but uh, those like when you have that law in place they will like loosen it step by step yeah so that's one of the things that is a red flag for me and the other thing is that in t- homeschooling was uh, hard before 2010 but it became com- almost completely illegal in 2010 
and the, looking at how the structure of the Swedish school is, uh, how, it, how it looks, uh, I didn't feel like I, didn't, I wanted to put my future children in that kind of place. It's more like a It's more like a storage place for so that the, both parents can work. So long days, but not so much. Uh, uh, and it's like it's uh, also it's in Sweden. It's only the state curriculum. It's the only legal uh, more like a document that all schools need to follow. So you don't have like the uh, variety that, for instance, you have here in. Uh, Czech Republic that you can have different kinds of school everybody everybody have, has to follow the the Swedish state curriculum and the, they put more and more things into this curriculum and um, that uh, I feel like that shouldn't even be in in the, like taught in school they they lose focus on what's important and it's just like a storage place for for the children and uh, you have like a yeah a few like Like if you're in the in the middle of uh, of uh, like activity range and uh, intelligence range and so on, you perhaps could go. Uh, it's quite good school for you. But if you fall, if you're over skilled or like have a some kind of um, ability in yeah, some field, yeah, yeah, like a disability <laughs> in some field that you're you have a hard time learning to read, or then it's the school is not for you. So if you like fall out of this middle category. Then, uh, so you said that um, something happened in 2010 which made homeschooling illegal. What, what was that? I, I don't know exactly what it was. It was no, 2010 it, or 2011 that they, they, made, they made, made it more or less impossible to homeschool. Before that, you could, you could uh, do it, but it took a lot of uh, effort and documentations and uh, you had to get approved and everything. And But uh, now it's... Uh, You, uh, all, it's uh, completely mandatory to send your kids to school and if you're not doing that you will get in trouble with the social services quite you, immediately <laughs> once again something i i learned uh, very recently was that homeschooling was all but illegal in sweden which is once again a, a rather strange thing to hear from from a, a British person that always thought of Sweden as being very open-minded. Do you know, what was the general feeling from people, Swedes, in Sweden at the notion that homeschooling is illegal? Or do they not even know that? Is it something that most people don't really care about? M- m- most people don't know about it and most people don't care about it. <clears throat> they are so indoctrinated from young age that you go to school and you, you don't question. But if you, if you said to... Uh, uh, if you weren't an average Swede on the street and you said, um, look, do you think homeschooling should be legal or illegal? Do you think they'd say it should be mandatory to go to school? Yeah, I think they should say that, uh, they probably would say that it should be illegal because in their mind, if you want to homeschool, you either, you're either like a religious fanatic or uh, or uh, some kind of, uh, like you're, you treat your children really badly and want to keep them out of society. That's interesting. I, I, I'm, this is all new, new news to me. Okay, so, so you you originally left on your travels to look for a place to live, and can you tell me about some of the places that you discovered that you thought, yeah, this could be, this could be good? Yeah, it, it depends. Before children, there were different 
like other places. But then when we decided to have children, then uh, it just narrowed down to, to at that time, uh, that Prague is the only place that we felt like have everything that we, that we want for really young young children. So it was quite quite an easy because we had been traveling for five years, and we were in uh, we were in Southeast Asia, and it was just before the Corona, uh, mania. <coughs> so we were. So it was not the the corona mania that uh, made us decide to have a home base but we had the, our plans was go, was to go to Singapore after Thailand and then uh, Bali and then perhaps in the spring go back to the uh, to Europe but we had an uh, one and a half our daughter was one and a half at the time and uh, we had gotten travel fatigued uh, so we felt like we need to put this on, like our feet down somewhere in the mm-hmm. world so so we were in Thailand and discussed and we both said that let's try to uh, make a home in here in Czech Republic in Prague especially specifically here in Prague so where where did you spend the the large part of the lockdown period were you here or were you in yeah a- in the we were quite oblivious <laughs> because we were so we were so uh, focused on finding a home here so we we took the tra- like the flight back to Europe and then uh, drove to Czech Republic and it was just when the like the things in uh, Austria and the Italy was starting to happen so but we didn't read about it we were so focused on finding a, a home so it's it's it, <clears throat> it's quite quite easy to find a place here in uh, in Prague to to live so it, I think it took two weeks and then we uh, got to this place that we're sitting today um, and the, uh, our, the landlord really liked us so we got to got to write the contract the week after and uh, got the keys and the and then when we got in the keys it we were in the beginning of March so we had because we had been nomads for five years but we didn't have anything we had to buy every everything to make it this a home sure what um so what did happen here in prague during that lockdown period like i'm i'm you're i'm getting the what i'm getting is that you thought prague might be the best place to experience a a freer kind of lifestyle so 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 how did how did it go here because i know i mean i've spoken to a few people about it and i know that it was there were lockdowns just like everywhere there was this but i also know about someone told me this morning at lunch uh, at breakfast that um some of the cafes restaurants were putting green dots on the door mm. if in, and things like that which that kind of stuff definitely didn't happen uh, in the uk for example so so what was the experience like in the in during that lockdown period then yeah it de- it depends because the first lockdown it has been several so the first lockdown when we came here uh, we didn't know so much and ever it was uh, quite hysterical and we were out buying furniture and our friend called us and said like it's a rumor that it's going to be a lockdown do you have any food <laughs> <laughs> we, we said no we don't have any food so we had to like in panic go and buy some food because we have a small daughter we have to have something <laughs> but i mean like i'll, go, I'll ask you punters mm-hmm. what, what was it different did you did did, did the lockdown period here happen better or worse than in other places i mean this was your bet your bet was on, uh, i mean uh, sweden would have been much more free if we would well, have it, been in sweden at that time but that's uh, what i because thought because they didn't have a lockdown in sweden yeah 
So, um, well, look, this is important because when we think about that period, and um, I always think Sweden did it best. And so, so how come? Like, I'm still trying. I'm trying to find out why why um, you wanted to leave Sweden. Like, when there, there, it seems like a quite a, a libertarian society, no? No. If we had gone back to Sweden, then we would have had problems with social services, just because we don't want to put our children in school, uh, right. and the taxes are so high. Right. So we would we would have been needing to find work in Sweden, and and I think also like. It's so. Uh, it's never good to to live in the country that you that you're born in, because you're you're getting away much with much uh, more things when you're living in a country where you don't sp- speak the language natively or 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 have uh, the passport and the right. The you right mean to vote and and the, you're left so. alone more when you're in a country that's not your own. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know what you mean. Yeah, that that is a if you're the kind of person that wants to be left alone, it's a pretty good tactic to be in a place that's not your home country for sure. But um, so so go on. I was asking you, Pontus, about the lockdowns here. Yeah, they were pretty harsh. So they <clears throat> they locked down uh, all the stores that were not grocery stores or petrol stations or pharmacies. But then again, the local population, they are very skeptical against the government. I think that's from the communist times. So they don't follow all the government edicts. And uh, like even even the police, they, they don't uh, crack down on people not wearing a mask or and so on. Was that your experience? Being yes, here? yes, yes. And is, so that story about green dots on the restaurants, that's a true story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you even had uh, a ma- map online where uh, where storage owners could like put up that they are open for everyone. So you could just go to that map and find restaurants and and they weren't getting shut down then. You know, like because that's that's so, a so, so, Some of them were getting prosecuted, I think, uh, but uh, then uh, the law uh, made it so that they couldn't find them in the end. Uh, so, so the the lockdown rules that were implemented here was illegal according to the uh, constitutional court. It was found out a bit later. So, so according to you guys, Prague's got a reputation for being slightly subversive. Would you say, like when you were traveling the world, deciding where to to settle down, was was Prague something people talked about as being a pretty free place? Uh, I I don't know. But but for us it, it was um, uh, yeah w- one reason we, we like Prague is because it's uh, Bitcoin friendly and you have uh, parallel Nepalis here and you also have uh, Alsa which is a huge uh, market uh, store uh, where you can buy basically everything except uh, fresh food and uh, clothes uh, and you can buy it for Bitcoin. Really? Uh, which is very convenient and you have uh, other some restaurants and cafes and. Uh, even some petrol station that accept Bitcoin. So. Wait a minute, that, uh, that's new to me. What what store did you say? What's it called? Alsa.cz. So A- A-L-S-Z-A. L-A- and where, what is Z-A. it, a physical, sh- a physical store? Uh, they have a lot of showrooms. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a really big, uh, uh, like, electronics markets to, to start with, where yeah, you can buy... Cosmetics. Uh, yeah, they're expanding in uh, all, all, all different areas. Uh, and it's uh, really big in Czech Republic and uh, Slovakia. 
but it's all, also in some places in uh, in um, Hungary and uh, in Austria, I think as well. And they accept Bitcoin. Yeah, they have been accepting Bitcoin since 2017, and they have accepted uh, Bitcoin uh, Lightning payments for I don't know a couple of years. But do you do you mostly order online with them, or yes, and or, then or, it gets delivered. Yeah, exactly. All all the orders are online, so you either collect them in a in a post box. You have post boxes, uh, Alsa boxes all over over town, uh, or you go to one of their showrooms and collect your order there. Ah, that's I didn't. I that was a new one to me. Right. Okay. So so you don't. Do you guys don't live on a Bitcoin standard? Do you? But y- yes. yes. Oh, you do. Right. Well, well we do. <laughs> How, oh, well, I'd like to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe you should describe what you mean by a Bitcoin standard. Because for me. Living on a Bitcoin standard means you're getting paid in Bitcoin as well. And that's the, right. the very difficult because hardly anyone pays in Bitcoin. So. Right, right. Yeah, our, our story is a little bit different. Uh, I got into Bitcoin very early um, in 2017. So I'll, I'll give 11. that... 2011. Mm. 2011. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry. Wow. Uh, that is the, very early. And the, the reason was that um, uh, I was... Uh, involved in the pirate party which is a p- political party in sweden uh that was started uh, by rick falkvinge he was the party leader uh and i, I was involved in a, on a local level in uh, linköping um at that time 2011 just um, quickly before we go on then what was the pirate party it, I've got vague recollections of it. What was the main was it a libertarian thing or was it a fun it, thing it, was it it, a, it was basically started after the FRA debate in Sweden in uh, 2004. Uh, so, so they are very much against surveillance and freedom of information and uh, freedom to copy information. So against intellectual property rights and things like that. But it was started in a serious manner. It wasn't like, you, you know, sometimes you get political parties that are just trying to show that how ridiculous politics is. This is a real party. It's, that, it, yes, yes. They, they were very serious. And, uh, and the, the main questions was, uh, yeah, free, freedom to share information freely. Uh, so uh, pirate copying uh, or what you call it in English? Pirating. Pirating, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, but they didn't believe in copyright, or they they did. No, 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 right, no, okay. no, no. They wanted everything to be able to uh, be shared freely, uh, and also very much against uh, surveillance and for for privacy for individuals and for transparency for gov- governments. Uh, and and it became a pirate party movement that at its height was in over fifty countries. And also here in Czech Republic, the Pirate Party is still quite large. Um, but the unfortunate thing that happened in Sweden was that in 2014, uh, there was a shift in the leadership. So uh, Rick Falkwinge stepped down and uh, uh, Anna Truberg became the party leader. And then uh, it was a shift in the politics, more towards like gender questions and uh, HBTQ things. What, so what, so, was it a shift from the middle to the left or was it a shift from the right to the left? Or? I would say that from uh, like the middle right to left. Right. I mean, Pirate Party was never a party that wanted to like answer all the political questions. It only had a few questions that they would wanted to like put all the effort on, which was freedom on the internet, basically. 
freedom to share information and uh, freedom for from mass surveillance. Did that dampen your belief in politics by any chance? <laughs> well, uh, I mean, it does. Well, to have a party that shifts along the political spectrum I, seems I, a little. I, I can say that 2014 was the last time I voted in a political election, and that was for the EU election. Uh, I voted for the Pirate Party in the EU election, and they they had two mandates, I think, at the time, and they lost one of their mandates, or if they lost both, I don't remember. Uh, but it, it was basically a complete failure for, for the Pirate Party in the, that election, and that, that's the last time I voted in a political election. Just out so, of interest then, what both of you, what is your particular version of governance that you, you think you know works? What works for you? Obviously, that was a form of democracy that failed, according to you, would you say? <laughs> Well, yes. I mean, it, it was a democratic process, but it it, uh, it ended up disenfranchising. I, I mean, I, I could go back a little bit. Uh, like, I, I've been interested in natural sciences uh, and uh, science for, for most of my life. Um, but, and I've been quite uh, oblivious and uninterested in politics and even economics up until 2010, uh, but in 2010, I just by chance, when I was in uh, in, in Bangkok in Thailand, uh, I found uh, a book in uh, like used books bazaar, um, and I just read on the back cover of the book, and uh, wow, this is interesting. So I bought it and uh, read it, and uh, that book just blew my mind. Uh, it's it? it's by far the most important book that I have read, and uh, it's it, it uh, like began my political awakening and uh, a, a huge interest for also the social sciences, politics, and economics. And the book was uh, the Third Wave by Alvin Toffler. The Third Wave, right? I haven't read it. A kind of Alvin Toffler rings a bell, but the, yeah, he's the, a, he's an American uh, futurist. So he he released his first book in 1970, and that is called Future Shock. Uh, and then after right. that, he he released one more book, like every ten years, and he makes huge amounts of research for each book, and he travels all around the world, uh, and uh, he tries to like really see the big picture of uh, like human society how, how it evolves over time from a really really zoomed out position so so that particular book then what was the overarching theme or that that, that you took what did you draw from that book that changed changed your life so much then yeah it's uh, yeah it's it's a look on uh, human society and how it has evolved over time so the third wave uh, the, the three waves. Uh, the first wave is agricultural society uh, and how the people live in that society, what people they interact with, mostly their family uh, over several generations in a small village perhaps, and they farm the land, uh, they, they don't travel far, they don't have much to exchange with others. Um, and, and what that makes... Uh, to your to world view, uh, how, how you look at things and what the, the re relationships are in the families and so on. Uh, and then the second wave is industrialization, as he describes it. Um, 
and that changes everything. People move into cities, uh, so you have a lot of people from the countryside that are moving into the cities, and you have uh, factories that uh, mass produce things, and you have uh, like split up of the family. You have like small nuclear families that move to wherever wherever the work is available. Uh, so you can have uh, families moving far in order to get work in the cities. Um, yeah, and uh, the culture that evolves in the industrial age and, and uh, in the cities, like everything is mass produced and standardized and mass consumed and so on. But already in the 1980s, when the uh, Alvin Toffler uh, book, The Third Wave, was uh, uh, published, uh, he could see that we're moving in another direction towards, towards more decentralization, and that is the third wave. So with uh, um, electronics, uh, the internet, uh, and uh, I mean, he could see already where we were heading. Uh, so he made a lot of predictions about how that will change society in so many ways that people will become more independent and will be able to take care of themselves. And is it, is it fair to say that what I'm taking from that is that <clears throat> the agricultural age was a was more of a decentralized age anyway. The this the age of moving to the cities centralized everything, and then it's a movement back to decentralized. Yeah, yeah, that, you can look at it that way. Yes, yes. Because I've so, often thought of that process as a constant thing, like that probably will go on ad infinitum. It's the ebb and flow of centralization, decentralization, mm. central because they're both forces that that it, it makes sense that when one's strong, the other one, you know, it, there's a counter force and it, it goes up and down. So presumably there's a fourth wave and it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a more centralized version. What I don't know. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. That's very possible. Yeah, perhaps uh, um, through some AI or something that is uh, centrally did, controlled. Did Ulrika, did you read that book by any chance? No. no. <laughs> did you hear about it? Yeah. <laughs> I had a lot. Yeah. <laughs> What do you think? What do you think? Like, I mean, all right, then let me ask you this. You obviously, do you, you I take it you believe that we're in a third wave? Yes. <clears throat> and what's your plan for the third wave then? No, it, uh, for me, it's all about family, that how to navigate the, our family boat in this uh, changeable world. And that's why we want to homeschool, because we do see that things are getting more decentralized and uh, like uh, uh, we can't uh, bring up children for a certain work type you have to relearn during your age to because the development of the of the technology and everything in society will go so fast now so the work the work that you perhaps want to have as a child perhaps will not be there when you're an adult so you well, have to be able to to uh, learn your your whole life. What about um, if so? According to what you said, the <clears throat> the initial family structure was very much um, we, large groups of people living together. Yes, shared. Yes. It's like shared families, like sharing. Fa you know, you, the, the the yeah. You had several generations under the same roof, right. basically. Yeah, and or, then or the industrialized age compartmentalized all the families yeah so what's the family look like in the third age then 
all kind of constellations. <laughs> right. Uh, so that, it can be anything. You mean? So is, yeah, it, they're not. You're not saying that the 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 fam the family unit that we see now is in, inherently wrong. I mean, I've often thought. You see, uh, like put it this way, right? I have elderly parents now. Yeah. And um, it's very easy for me to look at their situation and see how the nuclear family has failed them. Yes. Because yeah. where I tra- I travelled a lot in Southeast Asia and. and there you see many generations mm. living together all the time mm. <clears throat> and you realize why it makes total sense because as you get older you do need the support of your family and mm. and you kind yes. of earned it yes. and and you and especially when you have children the elderly women especially take on that mothering role that that we don't really it's much harder for the nuclear family to to sort of experience that so I would say that the nuclear family has massively failed in that respect. And mm. I, I am not planning on trying to recreate that from my generation onwards, actually. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I think the, the way we treat our children and our elders uh, in a lot of Western countries today is very wrong. Because we, we, we let the government take care of them. Uh, both the children, <laughs> young children, and, and uh, our elders. Uh, and I, I think that is very wrong uh, and, and very harmful. So, are um, you, so what are you doing to try and mitigate that then? Um, nothing <laughs> <laughs> uh, right now. We're just uh, we're trying to uh, to build our family with, when we have young children, so we have to focus on them. Ideally, it would be nice to have uh, several generations uh, under one roof, but. Uh, Sweden is not an alternative for us right now. So for us, the second best is to find a community for our, our children to grow up in. And we have, we have a community here in Prague that is, uh, that is really important to us. And that, uh, from what I get the gather, the homeschooling aspect of that is pretty strong. Is that one of the unifying factors of the community? Um, <clears throat> we have a, we have different bubbles, you can say. We have a Swedish homeschooling libertarian Bitcoin family bubble with children that we are bringing up. And then we have a, a second bubble with the, the first bubble and our f- uh, friends that don't speak uh, uh, Swedish. Because it's uh, quite important for us to uh, have our children learn proper Swedish and English, of course. But uh, the having a, their native tongue to be taught really well is important to us. And then a second language, English, and even a third or fourth language is also um, less important. But uh, So our second bubble is uh, with the, all the expats, homeschooler, homeschoolers, and uh, Czech homeschoolers that fall into the libertarian and the Bitcoin cato- cato- categories. So, okay, I'm, I'm still interested in this third wave thing, right? Because it, you know, I've never heard it described like that. I, it's very obvious that we've, that, you know, as a traveler myself, it's very obvious that we're living through the age of people moving into cities, like... Um, Everywhere you go, and I spend, in particular, one place I can think of, I, I spend a lot of time in Mongolia, and um, 40% of the country is still no, actually nomadic people. The other 60% live in cities. There's nowhere else to live, you know, like... Yeah. And, yeah. So, um, 
and that's the thing with the waves as well is that uh, you see the same pattern all over the world but in like shifted in time so uh, United States is usually ahead <laughs> because they have had a more free society um, so they are usually first in, in uh, these developments but all over the world you see basically the, exactly the same pattern okay I've got a couple of questions that you go then. from agriculture to industrialization to again decentralization what though <clears throat> like there's two things here one is I, I've heard a lot of people um, say quite convincingly that living in cities is important environmentally. Um, far more an efficient way to live, right? Okay, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I just know there's a pretty compelling argument. For example, resources can be utilised better. I mean, I know this for myself. For example, I live right in the middle of nowhere in the countryside and we drive around a lot. <laughs> and if I lived in a city, that's something I wouldn't be doing. I'd be getting public transport, right? There's the first thing. The other thing is, what do you think dr is driving people into the cities as well? As in, what what's causing them to to move? To what what causes that? Um, what's the underlying reason that that exodus of people from the countryside to the to the city happens? I mean, there are a lot more opportunities in the cities. A lot more work available. Uh, a lot more uh, interactions happening between people that can be fruitful in different ways. And okay, then what's driving them out then, like yourself? Like I, I take it that you're, is that something you aspire? I mean, yeah, actually, you're probably not because you are living in a city now. You, you know. Yeah, but <clears throat> if you're asking uh, other Prague citizens, if we live in Prague, they would probably say no. <laughs> oh, because <laughs> you live this on part the part of Prague is not. Okay. Prague, according to them. <laughs> right. Okay. So, what's your what's your preferred scenario? Your preferred situation? If you could just click your fingers and be in the the perfect scenario for you, what would it be? For for me, it would be in the countryside, in a in a village, with an intentional community of like minded families, libertarians, bitcoiners. That's all. all came together and decided to like settle in the same village somewhere in the countryside i grew up in the countryside and i like nature a lot and or we both do how um, does so what if you you know i want to see how that works for example what work are you doing there how are you making a living who's providing you know like who's who's where are you getting your food are you talking about living off the land are you talking about you run a business but you know you, you buy yeah, your food yeah, yeah. yeah for I, I, me it's like <clears throat> i don't want to be living in the middle of nowhere i do like the convenience of having a city i just want, don't want to live in the city i just want to be in the outskirts or not even in the, in the suburbia like perhaps a step outside of that so it's close to all the convenience that you can choose so you can choose them if you want but also be able to be left alone in a small village is interestingly because this is a major part of why i even came to talk to you because um i tell me about your story with prospera because um th this is very relevant now mm -hmm. i i take it um I mean, we were just talking about where would you like to live and what would you like to do. So tell me about um, your your journey, let's say, uh, involving Prospera. 
Yeah, so I guess it started in October when we both went to the Liberty in Our Lifetime conference, or were you? Yeah, it started a little bit earlier because we decided <coughs> that we we have to look for a place to to uh, have us a second base outside of the EU because we feel like we don't want to be uh, uh, standing with our feet too too far down in this. Uh, this land if the, everything falls here so we started i think it was in last summer the, the idea came that we need to find somewhere somewhere to have us a, an escape plan if the shit hits, hits the fan here <laughs> okay so that so it started there in the summer so we were discussing where i'd been to dubai for instance to lo- have a look there and uh, we were planning to go to the uh, El Salvador, the adopting Bitcoin conference in El Salvador, so so that was for us an opportunity to see if El Salvador is a place for us to have as a escape. <laughs> when you say an escape, are you talking about getting property and what just having it there, or, or what? Yeah, <clears throat> it's to have a place to, that you can go to if some if you need to move fast. So you you're talking about needing some kind of. Um, local ID or having a having a another passport or another they call it flag theory don't yeah. they another flag yeah another just uh, putting up uh, more flags but they don't have to be like you have a second or third passport just to have uh, like uh, harbors all over the world so even just to know about these places yeah. is enough yeah yeah so so we yeah just to explore the different opportunities that there are um so for us, uh, so then uh, October came and the Liberty in Our Lifetime conference uh, was uh, organized here in, in Prague. So we both attended. We got a special de- deal from Peter Young. So we, we could share one ticket because we were not able to go both at the same time. So we could uh, split up the days. Oh, why was that? Childcare, by any chance? Yeah, so one one of us has to be home with the kids. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. That's a good idea. Was that an official ticket, or did you just call Peter up and say, "Can hey. yeah"? I emailed Peter Young, and then he responded like two minutes later and said, "Yeah, yeah, that's fine." No, of course, <coughs> but it just made me think. Maybe that's a that's an, it should be an official ticket, a, share, a shareable <laughs> ticket. But, uh, well, we uh, give it we give a discount if you're like right. a student or whatever. So why not if you're a... But I, I can also recommend bringing the children to the conference. We have done that a lot. We did that in uh, um, Adopting Bitcoin conference uh, in El Salvador that we went to. There were a lot of kids at um, Liberty in our lifetime as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It surprised them. Uh, that was a, quite a surprising thing for me. You know? Yeah, they were a little bit older, I think. Yeah. Uh, the venue were a little bit too small and too too much grown up for our kids that are they are quite young. No, but there but were the, people with babies. That, yeah, uh, babies uh, is <laughs> an, it's a different thing. They just tag along, but when they start running and all <laughs> oh, right, so you think maybe there should be some kind of uh, play play uh, yeah. area for kids, right? Yeah, we've we've awesome. just been looking at venues today actually, and there wasn't a play area there, but that, maybe that's a thought. Anyway, I'll pass that on to Peter when I see him. Um, so so come on back yeah. to back to the Central America. And yeah Prospera. yeah. So so we had decided uh, I think uh, like this spring that we wanted or, or spring last year I mean uh, that we wanted to go to the adopting Bitcoin conference in El Salvador. Um, so we went uh, like one week before the conference I think and um, 
And, and at the uh, Libertino Lifetime, we actually met uh, Dusan Matushka and uh, and uh, who else? It was one more that talked about Prospera. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was actually at the VIP dinner on, on that uh, conference and uh, sat <coughs> just opposite of um, Dusan Matushka and we started talking and... Uh, You'd never met him up until that no, point? Uh-huh. No, just by chance. And we started talking about uh, yeah, El Salvador adopting Bitcoin conference and his Emmet uh, um, Age uh, Bitcoin Center in uh, Prosper. And then like it just grew, the conversation. So uh, after the dinner, we had we had said that uh, we would probably come to, to Ruatan and uh, Prosper after the Bitcoin conference in uh, El Salvador. Mm-hmm. And then at the uh, Adopting Bitcoin conference, uh, we, we met other people that were involved with uh, Prospera. So Ricardo Gonzalez, for instance, and uh, Lucas Dusko, who is uh, a friend uh, uh, of us uh, through Swedish Libertarian Circus as, as well. Uh, he is also involved in uh, Prospera. No, he's uh, not involved, like involved, but he he knew about it and he had been uh, yeah, been he, there, so be, he could give been us. Been there, he had been in contact with people there and so on. So he 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 talked about it and recommended us to go there. And uh, I also met a couple of other people uh, who were also involved in uh, Prospera in different ways. Uh, so we decided uh, then uh, to to go to um, Prospera. Uh, in, on Ruatan, uh, right after the conference, also to be a part of the inauguration of the uh, Bitcoin Education Center there, the MTH That's right, Education a, Center, run by Dusha Matushka yeah. and uh, other people there. So I'm going to plug my last podcast because I did a I did a podcast with Dushan, right, <laughs> right. and uh, and we talked all about that. So if you I don't know what episode it is, but if you mm-hmm. look back, <laughs> you'll be able to yeah. hear. In fact, Ricardo also we spoke to Ricardo. We 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 interviewed a lot of people around Prospera, but yes, yeah, carry on. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. So so like everything just clicked, uh, and uh, yeah, also about. We're, we're in the process of buying an apartment in Prospera as well. And, and that was uh, first time was uh, uh, Dushan uh, showed us. Uh, I mean, we have we had heard about uh, the building projects, the Duna residences by the Apollo Group uh, already uh, here in Prague um, at the Libertina Lifetime Conference. But then um, when we were at the Adopting Bitcoin conference, uh, Dushan showed us an email. He had, he had been in contact with them because he was also interested in uh, buying an apartment, uh, possibly. This is in the tower. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Just for people that don't know, because you've been there, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I've been there too. The, the, in its current form, Prospera is um, a former... Um, resort that's mm. kind of been revamped yes but then on the other side of uh, a, a bay is the new prospera which is being built which is currently what they call the beta building which is where all the businesses are now originally it had places to stay in it um, but then so many businesses wanted to move into prospera they they basically ended up saying right no one can stay here we'll have to we'll rent these out um, and they began work on building a tower uh, set back into the rainforest a little bit, um, which is currently um, probably nearly finished, I suppose. What, what's yeah, the time plan is that it uh, the first tower uh, should be finished uh, in the end of May uh, or start of June uh, this year. 
for for moving in or, or yeah, yeah for handing over the apartments to those who have bought apartments there yeah wow yeah and so and you're going and you're buying an apartment right yeah. is that right yeah <laughs> so tell talk me through that then and i mean i heard you're buying it with bitcoin is that right yeah. yes that's yes. incredible so yeah. Yeah. that's probably one of the the most 21st century things i've ever heard so you're a you're a family you're a swedish family living in prague mm. buying an apartment in central america in a free city with bitcoin yeah. that's pretty good as it goes you tick most of the boxes <laughs> yeah. and and uh, I, I think we heard that we were the first that were actually buying an apartment there with bitcoin is that right um mm. but um yeah so so they have no legal tender laws they're in prospera so you can pay with different currencies sure they're all accepted basically yeah the way i had it described is it's as good as legal tender bitcoin in prospera right <clears throat> it's not something that's mandated but they'll accept anything so yeah yeah mm. yeah and to go back we, we are a family that lives on a bitcoin standard and for us it means that bitcoin is our primary currency and we're whenever we're not in a bitcoin land we need to exchange from bitcoin to some other currency so it's much more convenient for us if we could directly pay with bitcoin mm. so what do you do you buy it off plan or what like how do you, i haven't looked through any of the brochures of, of prosper do you look through a brochure and say yeah i'd like this yeah. apartment and this layout and you know? yeah we will we were emailing with the developer so um like the last day of the Adopting Bitcoin conference, uh, we, we got uh, the contact details through Dushan. Uh, and then we, uh, or maybe we even used a formula on the on the website. No, we got the, the WhatsApp number too. Oh, WhatsApp. All right, yeah. right. That's that's correct. And so, so you're really, when you buy this apartment, you're then a, you, you're kind of signing a contract, right? You, this right. is this is the how this the free you, this is how it works. You, right? you, you first need to be an e-resident in uh, in Prospera, so so that's what you need to do first before you can buy anything in Prospera. Uh, so tell me how this works with flag theory then, um, because you presumably you don't have any um, Honduran rights or anything like that do you no so 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 how does it work say 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 the eu suddenly announced that swedish people are illegal and you've got to get out right so what what happens you you can just stay and prosper as long as you want no we can't but it's going to be we can have it as a base for uh, for a shorter while while we uh, continue our search and it's quite convenient to have a because another thing for us to choose uh, Prospera over, for instance, El Salvador, it was uh, uh, the <coughs> the budget that we had. So we it was much cheaper for us to buy the the the, the kind of apartment that we wanted in uh, Prospera than in El Salvador. So it could have easily been that we have done this in El Salvador. Um, but uh, for us, is is uh, we can use uh, pros like the apartment in Prosper as our our base in. Uh, in can I uh, ask you a personal question then? Mm. You don't have to answer this, but how much are apartments in Prospera? 
Like you can, you can, you I don't mean, have to tell I mean, me how much. In, you... in, in the tower, I think the studio apartments start at $60,000 and then you have like the two bedroom apartments are up to $200,000. And what do you, what happens to them when you're not there then? Like, what? Uh, well, they, they, they will rent them out for us. I mean, you can be a part of a, like rental out ag- agreement. So kind of a Airbnb, but they're running it. So, and what's your plan then? Are you planning on going there much? Mm, not as long as it's uh, good here in Europe, we will use it for for the winter month, which is pretty good. Yeah, I mean it's lovely there, isn't it? Yeah. Do you, you dive? It's it's yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> right, we, 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 we do. And did you uh, dive while you were there? We no. haven't. No, no. No, it's we have to set up some some kind of childcare if we want uh, to go diving, and we didn't have time. Dushan dives a lot there, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, we definitely want to dive next time we go there. But uh, we were only there for one week. So um, we had other things. We focused on other things and we wanted to get the like apartment deal done and so on. So you did. You signed a deal in in the beta building, did you? No, we signed it it, uh, online. They have uh, everything is online. They have the e governance system. Uh, that you can sign contracts and yeah, start we're, businesses. We're told uh, like the e-governance platform that Prospera uses is built by the same people, the same team that built uh, the e-Estonia platform. And we are actually e-residents in Estonia as well since like 2017. And we what, have a, okay, so what does that mean then? Was that another flag theory thing? Well, it was uh, while we were living as nomads between 2015 and uh, 2020, uh, just to be able to work and to to send bills for our work. Uh, We started a company in Estonia through e-residency, and that means that you can handle everything online very, very easily and conveniently. Gosh, so you really are like, you know, proper nomadic kind of you you, you do it I, all right I, I mean we, we we try to be and we yeah are there many of you people like you out there <coughs> probably yeah <laughs> i don't know how many but there are some people doing no what i mean like you're actually living the living it out you know like there's a lot of people that think about these things and dream about these yeah. things but you're on a bitcoin standard you live in you've got jurisdictions around the world that you can lean on if you need to uh, you know, like this is the modern nomadic. Is this is this a third wave thing as well? Do you think this is one of the ways that third wave people live? I, I don't think he discussed it in such detail, but but definitely you can become much more independent on any certain uh, state or government, yeah. um, as long as there are no like corona lockdown rules. That well, that's the thing. <laughs> you see. This is always the thing. And yeah. This is, uh, that's why I'm talking even about free cities. Free cities are a wonderful idea. It makes total sense when you think um, that what's important about a free city is the is the, uh, the opt-in aspect of it, right? And we know that. But if you can't travel somewhere, you can't even opt-in to that thing. So how? what are your thoughts on, on, on that? Yeah, we, we'll just have to see. It's... Uh, um, Especially for traveling internationally, if you want to leave the EU and go to North or Central America and vice versa, we, uh, it depends on how much of this vaccination 
passports they will roll out. So that's why we don't want to lean on just one uh, flag. We want to keep it open as long as we don't see where where the countries in the world, uh, what direction they will take, because I don't think that uh, all the countries in the world will go in the same direction. It will be some that will go in a different I think in in general, when it comes to different strategies you can use, um, uh, as things turn more authoritarian and so on, is either you can easily move between different jurisdictions, or you 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 like settle down maybe in the countryside and do a lot of prepping. <laughs> no, I, I, I think we are more the moving around uh, kind. Yeah, I know what you mean. So, another personal question then, because I'm sure people are thinking about this. As a digital nomad, how do you make a living? Are you living off old school Bitcoin, or are you? Yeah, I mean mostly. Uh, we have done some some projects in in like the fields that we have studied as PhDs, uh, like medical science, um, and uh, I, I've done some educational things around Bitcoin. Um, in 2016, I, I wrote uh, like 100-page research report for the Swedish Entrepreneurship Forum, and um, that report turned uh, uh, like came to the attention of the head of research at the Swedish Competition Agency in 2019. So I was asked to to write another report about competition aspects of blockchain technology. So I did that as a six-month project. Um, so, so those are kind of the longer projects we have done, but Ulrika, she has, um, worked, uh, for a personal genomics company in Sweden, uh, for, for, yeah. But for, these are things, are these, I mean, obviously part of being a digital no, or being a nomad these days is the ability to work from anywhere. And in fact, even when you, when you bring the whole notion of lockdowns into the context um this really important because like for example me I, my business went to zero the moment they said you can't go anywhere yeah um ironically now with something like a podcast you can actually you know carry on doing it but large swathes of the population had to stop working and mm. or go out of business yeah during that period so yeah yeah that, what, that is, that's why i think it's so important also with like free cities and new startup jurisdictions where where we can kind of start over without all the this authoritarian central planning and so on so yeah okay let's carry on talking about um digital nomadism it's just no is, is that what it's called or is it nomadism you're just modern modern day nomads mm -hmm. um because i i traveled for many years when i was younger um for probably the best part of 10 years really when you look at it on and off and I've been years away from home loved it pre-internet as well so there was no we earned our money at home and then we went away and spent it um there was no I think the most I ever did was a period of time where I was teaching English in Jakarta for 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 a few months you know mm. to, to earn a bit of cash but but there was no way to make a living I know now and this was news to me recently that there are a lot of countries around the world that give preferential treatment to digital nomads mm -hmm. is, is do you know much about that i don't know much about it 
but but it's obviously a thing um but now i've got a family again i know how difficult it is to be a nomad it's a it's something that strikes me as being very easy for younger people and very complicated as soon as you get children yeah i I agree with that and that's the reason we're settled down in in prague for for the last almost three years as well so 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 your is it fair to say your your days of digital your days of nomadism are over unless you're forced to and that was something you did when you were younger I mean, we we still like to travel, and we we still like. I mean, the ideal situation for us would be to to live like three or four months in one jurisdiction in one country, uh, and then yeah, like three four different places over a year. Yeah, that would be the ideal, not to stay too many months in in one place. And is is it something you're thinking of implementing? Yeah. And not right now, but that's something that we want to work towards. But then I don't want to write anything in stone because you you never know what will happen. Just that that is something that we will that we are working towards. That that might go against a little bit what we were talking about before. That perhaps another ideal situation would be to be able to have uh, like many generations under the same roof and have your family and extended family close to you yeah, but that is also if uh, if uh, sweden would have would turn around and become much more freer then uh, uh, that's the main goal i think is to go back and uh, have uh, our older elders been li- be living with us and uh, I, I think also for for our community like here in prague we are a, a community of uh, seven or eight Swedish families with uh, children uh, approximately the same age as ours. Uh, So you could say it's an intentional community that has formed here in Prague. And I mean, one reason we we want to um, like give the culture to our children that was dominant in Sweden, like before 1970s, perhaps that has been destroyed in the last decades. So, so we are, you can also see us as kind of a diaspora from Sweden, trying to preserve like the good culture that we used to have. But was that culture divided up in homes like this, or was it was it more of a community of people living physically close to each other? Like, because that's the only the thing I'm noticing about my, even my own thesis on this, which is I consider that the best way to live is a scenario in which you are part of a small community who share the burden of many of the tasks, right? And we all know that back in history, historical humans did live like that, and there was a reason. And when you look at the modern world, you realise you can take parts of the modern world and you can kind of insert them into this way of living. Um, But it does require physical closeness literally mm. i i need to live either next door to you or in a large house with you or something is that yeah. something you yeah. think about yeah and here in in prague we do have most of our um, families that we've talked about they live in a in a circle of um is it 15 minutes drive or with public transportation and uh, a few of them will live in the same neighborhood but what about something like Prospera? Do you ever do you ever think it is part of your, I is part of your 
dream, not, not, not as in, you know, it's part of your thesis that maybe one day you'll be living somewhere like a free city jurisdiction. Yeah, if more families are coming with the children that are our children can uh, grow up with, that uh, shares the same values with us, then uh, it will be much more attractable to stay there longer. What do your friends here think about your Prospera idea? We haven't I, I, just, I think they've said like oh congratulations <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're not tempted to, to fly over to Central America and get an apartment as well and sort of go diving every day <laughs> no I don't I haven't asked them so right, I, don't okay. know, I can't answer for them but I mean it's presumably it's something it's 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 something people talk about because um if you're if you care about liberty and freedom and which you obviously do is to have come here and all those families are the same then the prospect that someone in the community has found this nice little idea it mm. must it must they must be talking about it yeah but we we haven't talked so much about it no, with, we our, just with our friends here it's it's quite new so oh, yeah, okay. we, we came back from uh, central america a week before christmas we we yeah. were here for a week doing the laundry and then went to sweden for christmas and new years and we came back last week so we haven't been able to speak with so many here so it it's all going to be ready in may and at that point you can just go and visit can you mm. yeah and, and sure. live in your apartment. Yeah, yeah. As a as a resident, as an e-resident, is it? E, it's called e-resident. Yeah, it's yeah. e-resident. E we still need to uh, adhere to the Honduran immigration laws, so we we can't. We have to. Uh, they have like the C four visa system with the, a few other countries, and you are you're able to stay three months. So that we need to adhere to. And if then can you then leave and come back? Yeah, do like a visa run. Yeah, a visa run. But then I've noticed, because I was in Mexico recently and there were, there's been people doing visa runs there for years that I'm, I heard it's getting harder. Yeah. Some people arrive at the border and get two weeks instead of six months or whatever. Yeah. You know? mm. so, so what do you know about Honduras and, and visa runs? Yeah, I think it's, uh, it depends on how many stamps you have, I think, and how you travel. I think... It, us as a family, we get treated differently than if you're a single guy coming. Sure, yeah. So what exactly then does having a Prospera e-visa, sorry, e-residency, what exactly does it mean for you? Like, is it to do with the contract with Prospera? Yeah, for, for us, it was a requirement in order to, to buy the apartment. So... And, and in order to, to come into Prospera as well. And that's, yeah, right. Okay, so um, I'm, trying to, I'm, I'm trying to understand what the main advantage is for you. Say, for example, why buy an apartment in Prospera? Why not buy an apartment just down the road on Roatan in another neighborhood? What, so what's the, mm -hmm. what's the attraction? You can't, you can't pay with Bitcoin. On <laughs> okay, right, there's that, one thing. That's, that's one, one thing, thing. But, but also the potential in Prospera with a... Uh, a new newly started jurisdiction with uh, very low taxation and uh, uh, governance model that makes it very easy to start businesses and do yeah. all kinds of things. Is How much do you have to look into the governance model when you buy an apartment there? I mean, d did you or do you, do you care about that? Is it more like, for example, I heard when I when I was interviewing people there, there was there were talks of about quite interesting ways of governing even property rights such as 
the idea that you could buy the the three-dimensional space in front of your apartment, right, for right, example, right. right? Is that something anyone told you about? Or yeah. Is it, yeah, does that, yeah, 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 yeah. Does that exist now? Um, it's supposed to exist. Uh, but you're, you don't need to buy... Are you going to buy a bit of space in front of your mm, view? Pr- or pr- Probably don't need to do that. Right. Uh, <laughs> well, I think the, the, the building's quite high up. They'd yeah, have to build yes. a really big building in front yes. of it yeah. to, to spoil the view. Right. And it's, it's not so much uh, more land in front of the sea yes, to, okay. to be able to do stuff. So, but, but we'll see. But that is something that you talked about and that you, those kind of ideas. Yeah. I mean, for us, it's really important that uh, it, it's located in a very free jurisdiction. So the other place we looked at uh, b- before we decided uh, to buy an apartment in Prospera was Dubai. So, um, and what what was your feeling in Dubai? Dubai is Dubai. Does that count as a special economic zone, or they have. What, what's the attraction with Dubai? The tax incentives, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the less regulation you have and the lower taxes you have, the more prosperous that jurisdiction, that society will be. That is. But what about the fact that? Um, that doesn't necessarily a prosperous society isn't necessarily a free society though is it i mean if you look at the middle east there's 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 a lot of rules and regulations yeah. i worked there during covid right. and we had a doctor that came with us because we were being tested three times yeah. a day you know so yes they, it's not like they they just said come and do no. whatever you want you yeah know? yeah you have a lot of economic freedom but in dubai you have less social freedom and what's your feeling with uh, honduras then in that respect Let's say that the, when the Prospera alternative, we got to know about it, then the, the Dubai uh, alternative was less uh, attractive, like, attractive to, for us. Yeah. But it's still, because uh, I see it, uh, I see Rotan and Prospera as a gate to Central and South America for us, and Dubai perhaps the port for Southeast Asia. And uh, Yeah, you're right. I agree with that. It's a, it's a hub. I think yeah, it's a good a way to describe it. And, and having spent quite a few months in Central America last year, I, I re- you realise that there's something kind of going on in Central America, don't you? Is that mm. something I certainly picked up, especially with regards to modern ways of living, almost. Yeah. A lot of people flocked there during these times, mainly because obviously Mexico wasn't wasn't did had fewer restrictions and mm. then consequently el salvador and the bitcoin yeah. st- uh, the bitcoin law and this kind of stuff but it seems that um there there are a lot of people experimenting with things in central america is that would you agree with that yeah and we were we as, as we said in the beginning we were actually in uh, in el salvador in 2016 uh, and uh it struck us when we were there that uh, Bitcoin would be a, a good way, like like a good uh, El Salvador would be a good uh, place for Bitcoin to. Why? To why was adopt that? Because we were we were just a few days, but the trouble to getting cash. Ah, right. Was uh, yeah, was uh, it was quite hard for us to be able to even get the cash to be able to pay the locals that we were that we were interacting with. Like for food and such things, but the the internet was uh, was good, so we never had like an internet interruption. What's what's the interruption? But uh, but uh, we had to go to the ATM several times per day to see if it will would be online. Oh right, (laughs) did did in twenty sixteen. 
did you were you there long enough to get a sense of whether the country's changed a lot mm. actually having been back to the bitcoin conference last year yeah mm -hmm. it has changed a lot i mean we, we were in el tunco in 2016 and there were only dirt roads and checks uh, along the road what uh, about the notion that uh, el salvador was one of the most dangerous places in central america did, did you sense that when you were yeah, there yeah it sensed a little bit but we were because it was so dangerous we just stuck to the to the like uh, hubs for for uh, tourists right and uh, now when we came last year for the conference week we rented a car and just went around the country with right. no like and just stopped where we wanted the we asked one of our el salvadorian local friends if we were if it's if it were one uh, if it were places in el salvador that we should not go in to with car or by car, car and she the only place she mentioned was uh, this Soyapango. I don't even know where that is. No, it's like a suburb to uh, San Salvador. Oh, okay. And where they, I think we were there. Uh, we were in El Salvador when they went in with the military, like 10,000 military and police officer to arrest. Yeah, gang, gang members. And yeah. When was that? This this yeah. recently? Yeah, yeah, it was in November. November, beginning yeah. of December. So what's your opinion on what's going on in El Salvador then? Uh, obviously, there's two sides to this story. I mean... Uh, the president, Nayib Bukele, he's, I mean, he's uh, very authoritarian <laughs> when it comes to dealing with the gangs, but I, I think that's necessary. Um, I, I mean... I know, I know, it's, an, it's, a, it's a tricky, it's a tricky thing to think about. How do you, how do you, how do you um, level that out in your own minds then? What, what, what makes you think, okay, this is mm. good? Yeah, for me, it's a... If you want to have a libertarian society, you need to. Everybody in that society need to be in, on board with it. If uh, and uh, most of uh, the people in the world are not able to <laughs> to board that kind of society right now, and uh, a lot of them, perhaps in the central market, would like to board like a communist society, not a libertarian. Um, so. Uh, Looking at El Salvador, I think that they need to do what they need to do because they have been uh, going that pathway into criminality and uh, uh, no trust society and and uh, violence for so long. So they need to do something. Well, I mean, that's how I've sort of made, made my peace with the situation is I have yet to meet a local person there who didn't think it was a good thing. Yeah. And in in who who else am I supposed to talk to about this? Yeah. You know, like and and I've been spent a lot. I've spent almost three two two months there. You know, and met a lot of people, and I've not yet heard. And that may be because people are scared to even say they don't like what's going on. But but uh, you know, that's a good enough barometer for me. That doesn't mean I trust Bukele any more than I trust anyone in a position mm -hmm. of power like that but but um i do trust the opinions of the real people on the street who whose lives are now immeasur immeasurably better uh sure i didn't meet anyone who was wrongfully arrested or you know so but but i suppose you have to you have to think of it as a net gain or a net positive um that's but but yeah i think uh, it's not something that that is an easy 
thing to think about. Because, and, and I'll tell you why. Because in um, the Philippines had a similar situation, you know, Duterte. Yeah. Um, um, and he was also, um, in the news, he was portrayed much in a, in a much worse way, I suppose, even than Bukele. Um, and the violence was much more obvious and out in the open. But still, on the whole, um, I I know a lot of Filipino people and I've worked with various Filipino people. And once again, it was a case of the the average person on the street generally thought what was happening was a good thing. But right. I know, but it's still, you know... <laughs> it's a tricky one yeah. because because um, I don't know what the correct answer is. I mean, if I look at it in my own, say I was in, in the place where I have domain, which is in my family, you know, if someone was being rowdy and destroying the family unit, I would have no problem in using physical force to stop them doing it. Mm-hmm. If you scale that up to a, <laughs> a nation state, the same thing is, is true necessarily. So I, I'm... I'm I'm I, I'm tentatively watching it, thinking, and at the moment the barometer says it's okay, it's good. People are people are benefiting from this. The vast majority of people seem to be benefiting from this. Yeah, that's that's um, what I what I think as well from what I've heard uh, from yeah just from the local population and how it is visiting there. Like everyone were super nice and friendly, and uh, everything seemed calm. Well, you can imagine yourself at home in the same situation. You can imagine living here and having a, a problem with gangs. You wouldn't mind if a heavy-handed government came in and sorted the problem out, would you? It does seem to go against some some core ideas, though, that, that yeah. a lot of libertarians hold. So I don't know. I'm 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 still looking for the. Like I say, the, my barometer is: Are people happy with what's going on, and how many of them are? And my experience of El Salvador has been most people have well everyone, but then obviously yeah. my my I mean data set is not perfect. We don't, we don't know how it how it's going to turn out, so we'll just. <laughs> well, you would imagine that if 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 and if you can if you can if you if you rule with an iron fist, it doesn't really matter who you're ruling against. In this particular instant, yeah, the 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 bad guys are getting the iron fist. But mm-hmm. you would assume that in the in the future, the good guys get the iron fist as well. I don't know. Yeah, it can it can turn, and you see that with the Honduran government, like the last president uh, made the, those changes in the laws that uh, they see the uh, yeah. economical free zones could uh, start to exist, and now they've changed the government, and they are not so fond of Prospera and the other CDs. So. So that 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 well that brings us on to an interesting point of democracy, because the pro- the problem there is the democratic process. The, the and I think this is what this is one of the, my takeaways from visiting Prospera was that with Prospera you sign a contract mm. and mm. that's there's your contract there's yes. your agreement. You don't vote in and out. You vote once. You vote and and it, and then the next time you vote will be when you leave because you mm. no longer want to stay there. Exactly. That's the, I mean, that's the ideal. That's what I think would work best if you could only vote with your feet instead of voting in a political democratic system. The, presumably, though, if that idea gets too much traction, um, the powers that be are going to stop people moving. Because, yeah. and I mean, we're seeing that now. 
we've actually just all of us lived through a period of about two years where people couldn't vote with their feet unless they well they they could actually that's not true because I did a lot of people I know did but Mm. we were we were being very strongly disincentivized too so so how do you see the the future there like have you got any ideas about um whether that's something that's going to get worse or better or where are we moving in that sense yeah it's probably getting worse I think it's getting worse, but I don't think it's going to uh, get worse in uh, at the same time in the whole world. So for for me, it's more like sit calm in, in the boat and waiting to see, wait to see what the uh, what what will happen, and don't take like a, a panic move right now. Just see what what will different jurisdictions do and. And uh, be be easily on our move uh, at the time when we feel like it's necessary to move. You're um, very much a contemporary prepper, aren't you? Yeah. Do you know that word prepper? Yeah. You know, the preppers, they're normally guys that build bunkers in America and, you know, store mm. food. This I is mean, a very much a modern version of that. I mean, the, the system in the world is super unstable because it's built on fiat money and... Uh, yeah, central banks controlling money, printing a lot of money, and uh, yeah, most of the money is uh, credit. It's a debt that needs to constantly expand in order to keep the system functioning. And uh, private persons and businesses and uh, governments are over their heads in in debt. So, so obviously you're a Bitcoiner, so this is close to your heart. But why does that make the world unstable, as you say? Because it can't continue like this. It's, it's. I mean, it's just. What do you think happens then? I, I mean, what we're already seeing is we have high inflation, prices increasing because they have printed so much money, uh, and as you expand the monetary supply, that causes the prices to increase. Okay. If if nothing else changes. Okay. Do you have a do you have a uh, a crystal ball? Your own version of the future. Do you th- do you do you, what do you see? I know you're preparing for something. What is it you're exactly preparing for? I mean, the the way I look at it is that um, it's only a question of time before Bitcoin will outcompete all the other currencies, just because it's a better form of money. Um, and how does that future look then? So that when when it it will probably take a long time, several decades at least. Uh, what, what describe the Bitcoin world? Describe the world. Sorry, under a, uh, under well, what you would call hyper Bitcoinization. Mm-hmm. If if we are in a world of hyper Bitcoinization, where everybody uses Bitcoin as their money, we have a stable uh, like money supply that uh, nobody can uh, increase, nobody can inflate. Uh, and that means that prices of everything should go down as we get more efficient in producing different things, uh, more efficient in uh, division of labor. And uh, yeah, that's, that's the way think, things should work, that everything becomes cheaper over time because you have something, a stable money supply to, to measure it against. I think what my devil's advocate would say, yeah, but that's a deflationary economy. Yes. And that's bad because people hoard money and everything grinds to a halt. 
I mean, we, we wouldn't have the like mass consumerism that we have today. We would have people that think for the long term and do like sound investment of their money if they're going to use money. I mean, they will also always consume what's necessary, um, but they will not over consume on things that they don't really need just in order to get something for their money because before uh, the value of it depreciates. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about what you ha other ways you're preparing. Uh, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you think is an important way to prepare for, um, say you're somebody who cares about liberty, you're someone that kind of wants to be left alone um what is it they sh that you should be thinking about i mean you should probably think about privacy uh protect your uh, communications and uh, a, a lot of people in our community and uh, they, they they are very privacy focused all of the communication that we do online all the photos we put online all the social um interactions we have through different social networks it's all being registered and uh, like kept in big databases uh, in different parts of the world and then if you sometime in the future become a, a problem for the government they can just check in those databases and uh, dig up whatever dirt they need on you uh, in order to control you if you become some kind of political opposition in the future yeah. uh, and also the problem is that all databases leak. So, yeah, and it's also this can happen quite fast because uh, you have these four years or five year cycles where in democracy. So, in the one term you have like the what you consider the good guys, but the the next term it's going to be the ones that you, con you consider the bad guys. And it doesn't matter if you're left wing or right wing or whatever your political uh, view is. You will always have harder under the, the rule where that is the bad guys for you. So if they have all the, the databases with all the information of you, then you will not be so eager to go against them if they, the bad guys can crush you. Right. <laughs> yeah. So don't become an enemy of the state yeah. is, is what you're saying. Um, I've watched in even in the last five years, so many people I know have become enemies of the state and they were just normal people living their lives. And, um, you know, I, we, one can only presume that it, it does get worse from here before it gets better. Uh, are you hopeful about the future? I mean, go, let's go back to this first, second and third waves. Mm -hmm. What did um, Alvin say about the third wave? Did he, was he positive? I don't think he said much about that. He only like explained the possibilities, new ways of living. Um, he didn't talk so much about the political conflicts that will be the result. I think. And so, are you go on then? Are you are you positive? Do you do you have? Uh, are you enthusiastic about the future? I am. Um, I'm I'm very positive, but it's probably my nature to be optimistic um i we have a lot of friends that are very pessimistic about the future um it's easy to though you know you just have to look at the situation 
you mm. and and it's very i mean i'm not i'm not i'm a pragmatic person i don't i'll look at what's going on and say and and see um what's happening to the best of my you know abilities and it does appear like for example the social credit system and central bank digital currencies will happen and it's very easy to predict what the world will be like under that system you see because you can if you know enough about technology which we probably all do and you know enough about um how you can implement that on such a large scale it doesn't look good for everyone yeah yeah you know and totally yeah so so come on make make me positive <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm i am the same i i have an innate um optimism about the human spirit mainly mm, because yeah. i you see it everywhere when when at the darkest moment there's always more incentive to sort of shine a light isn't there and and you could argue we're somewhere near some pretty dark moments yeah i mean not not anywhere near how dark it could get for sure mm. because you you know but 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 as things centralize the decentralizing force and you know obviously bitcoin's a phenomenal decentralizing force that, that that was a result that came as a result of of you know what's happening in the world so so there are many other things growing out of this situation that i can only assume will balance out the equation let's say yeah hopefully <laughs> we need a lot of people to opt out of the current system of the of the current government systems um, so what if what if people just don't have it in them what, what if people aren't bothered about opting out look let me tell, let me ask you this right because i had to think about this during all these things that have happened to us over the last two years say the choices we had to make there was a lot of pressure to conform wasn't there masks vaccinations you know covid passes um you know all those things it was there was very much a, a, a and there were if you were someone who didn't believe in any one of those things you had to try really hard to resist it because the path of least resistance was conformity conforming wasn't it? it was very very easy yeah and unfortunately most people did conform everyone like in in the case of many things like masks was one of them right i knew a lot of people that thought masks were a silly idea mm. but just wore them anyway because it yeah. was it was just just to keep you know or the same with vaccination yeah the vaccination mm. to like travel people didn't yeah. didn't believe in the vaccine but they took the vaccine anyway to yeah. just to facilitate things yes and then when even now the a lot of science show that the vaccine may cause a lot of harm just because they took the vaccine just because they obeyed already they are not ready to to like criticize their own actions okay but the point is they did what made their life the most easiest so sure. and but where's the where's the optimism there then because i didn't see many people choose the uncomfortable path of doing what they actually believed in here in our neighborhood it was a, a different situation i think when the, the czech government put out the military to keep people from going through between districts and the mask was enforced like as soon as you stepped out of the door the first day I, I was quite afraid when that law came into place so I went out with the stroller with, my, with our daughter just to see what our 
neighborhood would react. And I was gladly surprised that most of them didn't wear masks, even though it was the mandatory mandatory this day. And then we were out in the playground with other families just next to a police station. And the police came out and threw, threw some trash. And he saw us that we were several families playing without masks in the playground and he didn't care. So, Is that something to do with uh, a recent history of authoritarianism, do you think? Because obviously we don't have that in the UK and mm. people conformed just like that. Yeah, and it's also different in different uh, areas of Prague. So if, if I went to another district here in Prague, the the people the number of people that were in, like uh, complying were incredibly high but in other areas especially outside of Prague uh, didn't so we could actually um, go to a skiing resort here in the, in the Czech Republic when the the law said that we had to uh, that they I think it was uh, not vaccine passport but you had to be uh, showing uh, PCR test or something, I, I do believe. But the, then the low, the the village here in the northern Prague, northern Czech Republic, the whole community was against it. So the police were on the community side. So the the hotels were open, and we could go. We could go and and. Uh, also, if you were larger larger gathering of people, you could say that it was for a political meeting. So you had to sign a list that you're on this list for a political meeting. Then they couldn't stop you from gathering. Right. So that's, yeah. Which that's is like but a, that's out. We say that's out the frying pan into the fire. That's like yeah. a, you still yeah. have to report yeah. <laughs> what you're doing. No, not no. not really report. Just if the police showed up, you could show this protocol. And okay. you don't so have to write your kind of name, like the real name. You just had, had to do a signature. Sure. Um, I've noticed there, we've, we've almost been talking for two hours. And that's that's a very long time. So, And and you keep having to pop off to... I can hear them again in the background, the kids. Let's. I'll, I've got one more question. Before, do you want to go and sort that? Yeah. <laughs> um I've got I've got one more question um, before we, li- we, we end, because so, we probably should. Um, but I'd quite like Ulrika to to answer as well. This is something we ask everyone at the end of the at the end of the <clears throat> podcast. Um, everyone has a different answer, but um, I'd be interested to hear yours as with everyone else. This is a hypothetical situation in which you have something like a sabbatical, um, which is during this year of a sabbatical. You don't have to worry about money. You have access to money. So you don't. You can do whatever you want during that time. What would you decide to do during that year? If, if money was no object and you could take off a year? <clears throat> I, would, uh, I wouldn't change anything, frankly, because uh, I would like to have that kind of... Uh, uh, of uh, um, living situation permanently so during that sabbatical year we'd still work to work to work to do this sub- temporary sabbatical year into a permanent life well, but what but that might be that you would you know build a community somewhere <laughs> yeah it, it would be like we were doing now like uh, connecting uh, try to 
find people and connect with people all around the world and uh, uh, travel to to meet with them. Um, still working on our our base here in uh, in Czech Republic. Mm. Yeah, so. I, I agree. It's it's pretty much what we are doing, and <laughs> I mean, we we should be doing that. Otherwise, we're doing something wrong. Because I've always yeah. gone. Sorry. No, because we we don't really we don't really have something else that requires our attention besides what we really do want to focus on. I've always thought that this age we live in now <clears throat> was the age when virtual communities started to manifest in real life, which is kind of what I'm, you're describing. And it's really happening for me personally, because prior to the lockdowns, I didn't even really have any online friends. Mm -hmm. It's weird. It wasn't that long ago. And now most of my friends I know are th from online. So, you know, and, and I suppose this speaks to what we were talking about earlier about, um, you know, this reaction to certain pressure is the, is the birth of something else. And I, I have noticed so many people who are connecting now with their, their contemporaries online in real life, which is, it sounds like you're doing something similar here. Um, but maybe you're, you're moving it forward into a, a rather more global version of that. I don't know. Yeah. Would you say that's true? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what we're exploring. Um, yeah, and right now our children, are, they are so young, so we have to, uh, to work in a slower pace because of uh, our family situation. But do you, um, do you have any advice then for um, people who may find themselves thinking the same kind of thoughts? They are a family living in a country and they're not happy about the future necessarily. Or they see red flags, let's say. What would your advice be? Mm, it it's de it depends on what kind of person you are, but we have friends that uh, are working towards making a circular economy in another country work. Uh, some people want to be nomads, so they are just always on the run. It just what what kind of uh, thing is uh, best for you? So either being be a prepper or. Uh, vote with your feet. So when you say a circular economy, you're talking about a Bitcoin circular economy? Yeah, okay. we have Bitcoin circular economies. We have friends that are setting it up in different countries. And it's not for the on a large scale for the whole country. It's just like in their community. So you either create a, a nomadic future or a sedentary future, but you choose which one. And Yeah. And what do you think yours is then? I think we're in the in the middle. <laughs> we're just because we're, yeah, really young children, and uh, we've been in the, the Bitcoin community for so long. So we just want to see. We're, we're kind of uh, the the older ones, so we want to see what what the young people of Bitcoin, the the newcomers, what they will be doing in different countries. Well, also, I think you have stages in your life, and. I think it's um, much easier to be nomadic when you're younger mm. and then it would make sense to settle down when you're older. I found myself doing exactly the same thing and, um, you know, they're, yeah, they both have different strategies. They're both different strategies, but they're both important. Yeah, and we, we were actually nomads with our first child 
up until she was one and a half and it worked uh, really well. So we had an international pregnancy insurance so we, I could choose which country I wanted to give birth in. And so I was in week 26 when we decided that we should give birth here in Prague. But we had other options and we went to different locations to see if this would be a place good good enough to welcome our first child. Um, and then when she was born, we continued but in to move so in a much slower pace. So uh, she actually started, she learned how to walk in Netherlands and uh, she started to crawl here in Czech Republic. So we have like different... Have you, just quickly, have you got an opinion on um, the idea that if your children don't grow up with um, a, oh, <laughs> there they are, I can hear them growing up in the background. Is that yours or no, is that it's, outside? Uh, it's our neighbours. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I've often wondered whether children that don't grow up in the same place have, have feel slightly more insecure do you think there's tr any truth in that? Because they don't have the... My, my answer to it has always been, well, as long as your family unit is secure, you t you kind of take that with you wherever you go. Mm. I, I think the later on that you said that yeah, if oh, you yeah, have yeah. a really secure within your own family, then you will be secure in anywhere, basically. Okay. Well, I, I, I feel... Sorry to answer my own question there, but I think I'm I'm noticing that... The children are probably going to put an end to this, but yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. It's it's been it's been two hours. I wasn't imagining we'd be talking for two hours, but um, thanks for thanks for coming on. It's 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 been really interesting and good luck on. Um, Ulrika's not even here. She's she's with the children. She's coming back. <laughs> she's coming back. Okay. Um, yeah, we, uh, we're going to knock it on the head. <laughs> I think it's a good time. But um, yeah, thanks for talking and good luck with everything. It's, I, I, I'm going to talk much more privately about all this stuff because I think it's phenomenal and really interesting. And it's a, it's a, it's a contemporary culture of people that probably you're at the sharp end of the wedge with the way you're doing it. Um, but pro probably in the future, in the not too distant future, there'll be a lot more people. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Absolutely. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming on.